Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Brave and Well podcast. I'm your host, Vanessa Newton. I'm a group practice owner and social worker. I'm also a Latina entrepreneur, mom, and recovering perfectionist. On this podcast, we teach mental health professionals how to build sustainable, profitable, and values-aligned businesses. Here, you'll hear all about decolonizing the business side of private practice and supporting the entrepreneur and the therapist. We'll also invite fellow therapists and healers to share their stories. Our time together will be raw, honest, vulnerable, and held together by joy. If you like what you hear, subscribe to our newsletter at braveandwell.com slash newsletter dash sign up. Thank you for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Brave and Well podcast. I'm your host, Vanessa Newton, licensed clinical social worker, Latina, entrepreneur, mom, and recovering perfectionist. Today, we're going to be talking about expanding into group practice, what that journey was like for me, and how I knew I was ready to make the leap. So let's start off with how I knew I was ready. I get this question a lot about how do you know you're ready? How do you know it's the right decision for you? And what I want to say is that group practice is not always the answer. There's a lot of work that goes into it, a lot of time, a lot of resources, and frankly, it's exhausting. So I want to get really candid about my experience and what that was like for me. And in episodes to come, want to share more about the nitty gritty details um, of the ins and outs of hiring, of benefits, of pay structure, of onboarding, all of that good stuff. But for now, let's talk about how I knew I was ready. So before I launched, I... Like I mentioned last episode, I was in solo practice for three years. I was subletting an office space alone. And there was a time in my life when I realized that I wanted to start a family. And I wanted to build a business that gave me flexibility and space to be able to step out of my business while also generating income, right? And I knew that business had grown as a solo practitioner. I was turning a lot of people away who were coming to me for services because I was self-pay, but I also took insurance. And as we know, finding therapists who take insurance is really difficult nowadays for a lot of different reasons. And so I wanted to be able to serve more clients and increase access. I also knew that I wanted to build a practice that had therapists that were representative of the clients reaching out to me for support representation matters. And as a woman of color, there are not enough therapists of color. And so my group practice offers a lot of visibility and inclusivity, and that's really hard to find. So I knew that I wanted to build a practice that was inclusive, that was social justice oriented, and that was providing racially trauma-informed care. Um, And I knew that I couldn't do that alone. And there were a lot of people who who needed support. So When I thought about all this, I thought I have a consistent stream of referrals. I am turning a profit on my business. I am no longer able to take on any more work as one person. So it was time. It was time for me to start executing on my plan of growing my business to a place where I could be able to have a child and step out of my business for a little while while still generating income and being financially stable. 
the process of getting there and actually expanding was slow. It was small. I decided that January of 2018, I wanted to hire my first person. And luckily, the person that I hired was someone that I had gone to undergrad with. And she was a part of my clinical supervision group at the time um, when I was getting my hours to become fully licensed. And she, I don't know how we reconnected, but she had just had her baby. And I was at this crossroads of wanting to expand my business. And we came together and she said, I'd love to work with you. And because I had known her and and knew her work ethic and gotten to know her as a person in the past, it felt like a really good fit, like a really organic thing to do. So she came on and as a part-time 1099 contractor, because she was a full-time mom, and we started slow. She would use the office on some days, and then I would use the office on some days and got full really quickly. And so I decided to hire a second person. And this second therapist was also a 1099 contractor, but she was working full time. And so she was seeing clients full time. So it was me, my first part time contractor, and then my second full time contractor using one office. And as I mentioned before in the previous episode, our landlord was kind of like, we love having you all, but we can't keep allowing you to grow at this rate with just one office, which made a lot of sense. And so I was at a place where I had to make a financial decision about where to move to. And knowing we needed more space, because I wanted to continue to grow, and knowing that with more space is a higher cost. And our office location is downtown Central Austin, which is really pricey. So it was going to come with a higher ticket. The good thing about starting slow was that I was able to save a lot of money. And in the time that I had hired these two contract clinicians, I was still seeing clients full time. And for me, full time was about 20 to 23 clients a week. That was full time for me. And then I was also, you know, with my contract clinicians, they were being compensated on a percentage split. So they received a percentage of every session, and then I kept a percentage of every session. And so what I did was every dollar that came in from the percentage that I kept from their work went into savings, business savings. And I used every dollar to expand my business. I think I had saved probably $12,000 at that point within about six months time and was able to expand into a larger office space with five offices. It was a little house and debt-free. I took out no debt, no lines of credit, no credit cards. We got the office furnished it, and it was ready to go. But as you can imagine, when you're spending that much money expanding into an office space, depleting my savings, and not really sure what was going to happen next, because I was going to need to to keep hiring so that I could replenish savings, but also continue to grow, right, and expand and fill up the office. So there was a lot of fear there. But I'm not someone that is... I'm not afraid of a lot of things. There's not a lot of things that scare me. I like to take risks in my life. That's not difficult for me to do. And so I just told myself it will all figure itself out, right? Because it always does. And I think good or bad, that's just kind of how 
I operate um, in times of fear. And after moving into the new office, I continued to hire clinicians and grow our team. Um, Still seeing clients full time. I was managing all the business side of things, managing all the new client referrals that were coming in. I was managing social media. I was managing marketing. I was managing team building opportunities and team meetings. And it quickly became very unsustainable. So one of the first admin positions that I ever hired was a client care coordinator. And this person came from a local university, he was in counseling program, and he was just looking for a part time job and just wanted to do something in the field of counseling. And I had put out kind of like an ad on one of the list therapist lift serves and he reached out and several people reached out several students and thought he was a good fit. He came onto our team and not only supported me with the new client referrals, but he also took off the social media from my plate. So he managed all the new client referrals that came into the practice. He managed our social media accounts and then also created and sent out our monthly newsletter. So that was really helpful for me because all of that was taking up so much time. As you know, if you're in private practice, that takes up a lot of time. So he was doing that for me, which was a huge help. And then December, so the end of that year, December of 2018, remember I launched in January 2018, December of 2018, I opened up a second location. So my first location was in Central Austin, And then I opened up a second location in Cedar Park and I hired more clinicians to specifically work out of that office. Now, let me just pause here and tell you something about that decision. One, looking back, it was a terrible decision. Second, that office, I'm still paying for that office because I signed a five-year lease and nobody uses it because everybody uses our Central Austin location, because we have two buildings down there. And third, when I went in on the lease, I had a colleague who was living out in that area and wanted to rent one of the office spaces. And so it was kind of like a win-win because I would be recouping some of that overhead costs from her rent while also trying out to see if this location would work. I didn't know then that it was a bad decision. I think then what I thought to myself was, this was an area of town that didn't have a lot of therapists. This was an area of town that was close to where I was living, my primary residence was. This was an area of town that had a lot of families and children and who were needing services. And so my thought was, well, this office location could house several play therapists, teen therapists, folks who do couples counseling, family counseling. So it could kind of have its own niche. And that worked for a while. I mean, I think the first two years, I would say pre-pandemic, we had therapists working out of there. It was busy. It was doing well. There was a lot of great work happening. I think when the pandemic hit is when everything kind of fell apart, so to speak. So obviously our business was operating from home. We were doing telehealth exclusively. Several therapists decided to move on to other jobs that were primarily working at that location. And so it's just kind of been sitting there this whole time. And I really haven't had the time or the energy to try to get it rented out again. You know, I've thought about letting it go, but I would have to pay all of the realtor fees to get someone to take over the lease. And so it just became more trouble than it's worth. So it's still there. I mean, it's something that, you know, I think clinicians use occasionally if they need to, if they have clients who live out in that area. But 
it's just a money pit, you know, honestly, and I pay rent on it every month. Thankfully, it's not a lot of money. The rent out there is not as expensive as it is in Austin, but it's still money that I'm throwing away. And so looking back, obviously, I couldn't have predicted that a pandemic was going to happen. But I think that I probably should have thought through more what marketing and what generating a strong, you know, client base there would have looked like it entailed. And I didn't spend enough time doing that. So that's kind of a a tidbit for you that if you are someone who wants to have multiple locations and grow a group practice, then do your research. Think about where would you expand to. Even if you just have one office, I think making that decision of what part of town you're going to be in is so important because you want to be sure that one, it's a place that you see yourself growing. Two, it's a place that you want to build a home in. Um, And three, that it's a place that has clients that fit the brand, fit your business, fit the services that you provide, and that there's there's a lot of alignment there. So just take your time thinking about that because once you sign a lease, it's really challenging to get out of that. And also don't sign five-year leases, just don't sign anything more than a three-year lease, just being honest, because I don't know that I'll ever do that again. So I expanded at the end of that year. And quickly soon after, I had started fertility treatments. So full disclosure, I had a hard time getting pregnant. We knew we wanted to start a family and had started doing fertility treatments to get pregnant. And I finally got pregnant in 2019. Um, And this was when I created my first leadership team position of a clinical director. So remember, I was setting myself up this entire time since 2018 to be able to take a maternity leave. And the plan was that the clinical director, the leadership team position that I had created, which was a clinician that was already an employee of the practice, I basically promoted them into a clinical director position, obviously interviewed them, provided them with the job description, and ultimately felt like they were a good fit and had the experience. So there was a process before just promoting them, just to kind of be clear about that. But the plan was that this person would take over once I went on maternity leave so I could birth a child and adjust to becoming a new mom and figure out what I wanted my career to look like when I after I had my baby, because I wasn't sure about that. I wasn't sure if I would have wanted to come back to work. I wasn't sure how much I would want to work. I wasn't sure if I would want to stay home forever. And so I think I wanted to make sure that the team felt supported, that the business was taken care of, and that the physical location was taken care of, because that's really important. That's the thing about having an office location as a group practice owner is that the maintenance and the care of the physical locations that you have is so important to the team culture that you're building to make sure that your team has what they need to be able to do their job and to be able to feel supported. And so I wanted to make sure that there was someone who could act in my place. So once we had, I had my clinical director, at that time I was already pregnant and I was onboarding him and kind of getting him up to speed on all the things that he would be responsible for when I was able to, when it was time for me to step out. 
And because our team had grown so big and we were receiving about 100 referrals a month, I decided to hire a digital communications manager specifically for social media and newsletter um, so that the client care coordinator could strictly manage new referrals. Y'all, that was the best decision I've ever made. I made a lot of decisions, some good, some not so great, but this decision never looked back. She's been with us since 2019. When I hired her, she was living in Austin and then originally from New York. But soon after I hired her, her husband got an opportunity to move back to New York and um, for work. And so they moved back. But her job is completely remote. And so she has been with us since 2019 as she and she has been the person to maintain our website, our newsletter, our social media content. She does that every day for us since 2019. And she lives in New York. And she's incredible. She has a marketing background. She's currently getting her counseling degree. And so we love her so much and are so grateful. But I say that to say, when you're thinking about administrative positions to hire for for your group practice, you don't necessarily need to hire someone who lives in your area, right? Depending on what you're asking them to do, you can totally hire someone that is across state lines or anywhere for that matter. I mean, there's a lot of practices who have virtual assistants who live all over the world. So I just say that don't limit yourself, that if there's someone somewhere that's not where you are, give it a try. She's part-time, she's a full-time student, and she doesn't see clients, but she is still very much a part of our team. And we touch base, you know, all the time. We use Slack as a medium for communication. Um, We use email, we use text. So we really are grateful for her. So by the time 2019, I, I launched in 2018, just to recap, launched in 2018, hired a part-time client care coordinator hired a full-time clinical director in 2019, and then hired a digital communications manager in 2019. So by the time I went on maternity leave, I had three administrative positions, right? A client care coordinator, a clinical director, and a digital communications manager. At that time in my business, that was what we needed, right? That was plenty of people who were all on board and supportive of each other. Forgot to mention that we had also brought on an intern from the University of North Dakota or South Dakota, not sure. Anyway, but we had an intern who was also supporting with a lot of administrative work in support of the clinical director and our other admin positions. So, and she was being supervised by our clinical director. So she was in good hands. So we had all those supports in place. I stepped away. I took a maternity leave and nothing has been the same ever since I've returned. Everything about the business has changed in the best way, right? The pandemic hit, of course. I think I was back at work for maybe a month. The pandemic hit. We pivoted our business to operate 100% online. Our lease at the Austin office was ending in October. We ter- I made the difficult decision to terminate the lease and not renew it because I wasn't sure when and if we were going to be able to go back to work in the office. And as you know, my Cedar Park office is a five-year lease, so I've had to keep it, although my landlord reduced the rent for about two years. Well, no, a year. Um, He kindly reduced it for us, knowing that we weren't working from the office. And I'm so grateful for that. He's been a great landlord, so I can't complain about that. But we only recently went back to the office, and I 
expanded our office space. So we went from having two office locations to going 100% online. And then in November last year, so 2021, we expanded and I decided to sign a new lease on two properties in East Austin. So we're back in the office, still have the Cedar Park office, but we went from not having really any overhead expenses just you know, besides all of our tech platforms and applications that we use to now having a lot of rent that we pay, honestly. But you know, I don't regret it. And I'm so grateful to have an office space that we could see clients from just because in my opinion, there's nothing like being in person with a client and our team loves it. And it's just been a really great thing for us during this time. I've learned to work smarter, not harder. We've grown our team in ways that I could have never imagined. And I know that there's a lot more to come. Today, five years later, after launching my group practice, Colors of Austin Counseling, we are a team of 18 clinicians with three office locations, a leadership team of six, and we are generating over a million dollars in revenue a year. This experience has not been easy. And I often ask myself if I'm ready to stop growing. I don't have a clear answer, which tells me that the answer is no, I'm not ready to stop growing. And I don't know if I ever will be. I am incredibly proud of our team, our practice, and the culture we've created internally and how we show up in our community and the work that we do. Group practice ownership has its ups and downs. It's an emotional roller coaster. It's exhausting. And I always say this there's no one that will ever care about your business more than you. They can be passionate, they can be invested, they can be aligned with your business values, but no one will care about it more than you. And that's a lot to carry and a lot to hold. But if you're not ready to manage people, to make big, scary decisions, to spend a lot of money getting support to make sure that you're practicing ethically, and to to deal with the daily challenges that come up. Because there's a lot of things that just come up that you have to be ready for. Then don't do it. I think the other piece of advice I would say is that as a group practice owner, you are the visionary. People are working for you because they believe in what you've created. And if you are not building something that people can believe in and people can grow in and people can invest in, then what are you building? If you are wanting to go into group practice because you just want to make a lot of money and you think that, you know, doing a group practice means that you're going to have all this money, then that's not it either because that's not true. Yes, we generate over a million dollars in revenue a year, but I don't take that home. Don't mistake that for that's what I take home because that's not what I take home. We're going to talk about hiring. We're going to talk about benefits, money, budgeting, team culture, building a leadership team, and so much more. For now, I'm going to stop here and just share that story. You can also find me on Instagram at Brave and Well. You can find my group practice on Instagram as well, at Colors of Austin. 
And to contact me, you can visit my website, bravenwell.com. I offer several services, business consultation, clinical supervision, speaking engagements, workshops, and groups on the topics of entrepreneurship for mental health professionals. If you want to start laying the foundation for your private practice or group practice, then you can purchase my workbook that will guide you through over 80 pages of exercises and resources to get you started. You can visit my website, bravenwell.com, to purchase your workbook today. And finally, if you're interested in being a guest or would like to get a specific question answered, I'd love to hear from you. Please send an email to me at hello at bravenwell.com and we can schedule a call to discuss further. All right, y'all. Thank you for your time and I will see you next time. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Brave and Well podcast. You can find links and resources from this episode in the show notes at www.braveandwell.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast listening platform. Then send it to a friend. For free resources, special announcements, and discount codes, subscribe to our newsletter at bravenwell.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. Until next time, stay brave.